Let's open the Word of God to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. I thank those men that have gone before me and the good things that we have already heard. Matthew chapter 15 is one of the two chapters that you were to read last night in preparation for this assembly. The first 20 verses describe the Pharisees and their man-made religion based upon their ticky little rules that they had imposed upon the people that they called the tradition of the elders. It made their worship of none effect. God did not receive their worship. The Lord Jesus Christ couldn't stand them, and he treats them accordingly. Let's notice that they had little rules in verse 2. They came and confronted the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, trying to impose their rules on others. You know, if you want to wash your hands eight times before you eat a meal, go ahead and do it. It's a waste of your time, but go ahead and do it. God doesn't care except that you're wasting your time and you'll have to answer when you meet Him about redeeming the time. But if you have that big of a fetish about cleanliness before you eat, then wash them eight times. But don't talk to us about it because we couldn't care less. These people wanted to impose their rules on others and it makes all the difference in the world. They're outside the church to begin with Second of all, they want to impose their rules on others, and that puts them in a category where the Lord Jesus Christ shows them no regard. Verse 2, they came and confronted the Lord. Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Well, bless their hearts. They wash their hands. And you know, I can I can hear some fastidious person right now saying, well, that's a good habit to have. Prove it from a Bible. Prove it from a Bible that it's a good habit to have. You say, well, it's just common... Really? It's just common sense. Well, it's not sensible to God or He would have put it in the Bible. It's not a rule to be imposed upon men for a religious significance. So Jesus immediately turns on them because all they have said is, why do your disciples not keep... The tradition of the elders. What's traditional among us? Why aren't they doing that? That isn't how we measure our religion. We measure our religion by the word of God. So Jesus immediately turns on them. Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? And he goes on and describes how they broke the commandment of honoring father and mother by having an IOU system set up to where they would not support their parents in old age, but they would commit their goods to the temple so that they wouldn't have to support their parents. And only upon their death would their goods be transferred to the temple so they wouldn't be taking care of their parents in old age. And so the Lord is condemning them here for breaking God's commandment, though they were condemning His disciples of breaking their commandments. And the Lord Jesus goes on and explains... Ye hypocrites, in verse 7, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. These little rules that men make up make the religion of a person of none effect. And Jesus Christ rejected it. Then he explained a principle to them. There is nothing that can go in your mouth that can defile a person. It is what comes out that defiles a person. What goes in your mouth does not enter into your heart. 
It goes into your digestive system, then your bowels, and then is defecated into the sewer. And that is what is described here. Into the draft. Into the sewer. What goes in your mouth doesn't defile a man. It's what comes out of your heart because what goes in your mouth doesn't go into your heart. And he explained that. And he gave that illustration that these Pharisees are worrying about what ends up in in a flush. And his disciples came to him and said, don't you know that the Pharisees were offended at at that illustration that you just made and that application of their doctrine? And here's here's where we learn truth. What do we do with people that have made man-made rules that are outside our church that want to oppose the gospel of Jesus Christ? What do we do with them? Well, we try to follow our Lord Jesus Christ. And he said in verse 13, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind, leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Let them have their little ticky rules. Let them waste their lives. Let them restrain themselves from all pleasure. Let them miss the worship of God. Ignore them. We have our mission fields. We have our children that we're to bring up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We have one another in this assembly that we are to consider and to provoke to love and to good works. We have weak members in our assembly that we are to have charity toward and protect, but not Pharisees. Pharisees gave the Lord Jesus Christ trouble his entire life. They were the visible, loud enemies at his death. They gave the Apostle Paul trouble throughout his life. They are the ones that required the council at Jerusalem to be called in Acts chapter 15. Pharisees, man-made rules as the benchmark of religion. We don't smoke, drink, or chew. Or hang around with those that do. That's their religion. They measure by these little external rules instead of the real issue of the character of the heart Does a person love God, and are they showing the fruit of the Spirit out of their heart? And so Jesus explained. I hope that you understand this simple illustration. I want to say, I want to pick on one little issue. Drunkenness. Wine. What causes drunkenness? Lust. The heart. What goes in a man's mouth cannot defile the man. Wine does not cause drunkenness. What causes drunkenness is a heart that drinks too much. A heart that is not disciplined and showing temperance and moderation in the use of that substance God gave. What causes gluttony? Food? Does food cause gluttony? Is Little Caesars the cause of gluttony? What causes gluttony? What goes in the mouth cannot defile the man. It's the heart that eats too much. It all comes back to the heart. It's a heart issue. And our religion, we're to worship God in spirit and in truth. It's a heart religion, and that's what counts. And these little man-made rules that men have come up with are wrong. And Jesus deals with the Pharisees very severely here. And I hope that you are able to understand that there is an obvious difference between how Jesus dealt with these Pharisees and how Paul dealt with weak brothers. Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Much more, of course, could be said from Matthew chapter 15. But we'll go to Colossians 2. Do guns cause murder? Guns don't cause murder. But you know, our nation, much of our nation, is as ignorant as Pharisees. They want to judge the gun. They want to outlaw guns, but guns don't murder. It's people with wicked hearts that murder. 
Murder comes out of the heart. Evil thoughts come out of the heart. Sin comes out of the heart. It's not in your hand. It's not got six chambers in a revolver. It's not got 17 rounds in a grip magazine. It comes out of the heart. We need to think the way that God thinks. It's the, it's the only right way of thinking. Our nation is confused, and most pulpits and churches are confused. Many of them are. Colossians chapter 2, there is so much said here of glory about the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross for us. But we are warned in verse 8, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. Little elementary rudimentary rules and ticky-tack observances. The tradition of men. Beware! They're going to come at you with a philosophy that is contrary to the Word of God. Jesus Christ has finished the work of making you complete in Him. Look at verse 10. And ye are complete in Him. There is nothing else that you need to do to complete your redemption and salvation in the sight of God. Ye are complete in Him. And it goes on to say that in verse 12, we're buried with Him in baptism. That makes us dead to our old flesh and alive to Christ, and that we're risen with Him in baptism as well in that verse. Verse 15 tells us that Jesus Christ spoiled principalities and powers. That is the devil and his angels. Verse 16, Let no man therefore judge you in meat, or in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days. Those are issues of the diet and calendar of the Jews. Let no man judge you. It's the Pharisees that wanted to judge men and say, if you don't do these things, you're going to die and go to hell. And so the Apostle Paul is taking right up where Jesus left off, enemies outside the church, Some had crept into the church and let no man judge you in these things. They are altogether wrong. Beware when they come at you with their vain philosophy. Verse 18, Let no man beguile you of your reward. You will lose your reward of pleasing God and having Him bless your life and of having Him bless you when He sees you at the judgment seat if you submit to these ticky-tack rules of men. He calls it a voluntary humility. They act humble. People that walk around with their heads hanging down are not humble. They're doing that to tell you that they are more spiritual than you are. That is why they do it. Walking around with your head hanging down is never described in the Bible as a position of humility. The Lord Jesus Christ was humble. But He would drive money changers out of the temple. And He would tell men that they were wrong and ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures. That's humility. David was a humble man. But he would say that God hath blessed me for my righteousness. To the merciful, God will show himself merciful. That is a humble man. This dragging around and looking pitiful is a Roman Catholic caricature and ruination of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul ridicules it here as a voluntarily humility and worshiping of angels. You know, they'd rather worship angels and spirits intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. Listen to these words as the Apostle Paul rips false teachers and rips the Pharisees, with or without quotation marks around their name, that have infected and affected the churches of Jesus Christ. And not holding the head, 
Verse 19, what we want to do is hold the head up at all times, from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. God's increase is not by rule keeping. God's increase is by lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ because we are complete in Him. He's destroyed the devil. He's nailed all the ceremonies and laws of the Old Testament to the cross of Calvary. We're free from all that. Let no man judge you in any of it. Beware lest any man beguile you of your reward. Let's hold up the Lord Jesus Christ. I've met these people. You've met these people. Their love for Jesus Christ is very questionable or non-existent. They don't talk about Christ and His finished work. They want to talk about ticky-tack rules for their little man-made religion. We want to hold up the head. They don't hold up the head. We want to hold up the Lord Jesus Christ who's the head of the church. Verse 20, Wherefore, let me draw a conclusion, the apostle says, of what I have said in verses 6-18. through 18, 19. If ye be dead with Christ, if you're a baptized believer, if you're dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, from their little elementary ticky-tack rules for religion. Why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Why are you letting anyone bring into your church any of these little rules? Touch not, taste not, handle not. Isn't that beautiful that God put that in the Bible? Let me say it again. We don't drink, smoke, or chew, or hang around with those that do. And they think that they're saying something noble. They, th- they think that they're saying something pleasing to God. When if you find that expression in the Bible, or something close to it, it's right here, and the Apostle Paul is condemning it. Right. Christians do not go around saying, don't taste that, don't drink that, don't touch that. Christians don't do that. There are some things that we should not touch. But it's the Word of God that's very plain about that. These are rudiments of the world. These are elementary rules of the world. These are man-made rules, not God's rules. Touch not, taste not, handle not. Thank you, Brother Orville, for that song that you gave us that I put in an update in the last few days. And I hope you pulled your sidebar down far enough to be able to see it where the temperance movement sang these words over and over and over and over and over and over as positive words describing their religion. Touch not, taste not, handle not. We're like the Virgin Mary. We're so acceptable to God. This is Paul blasting that as heresy. The whole idea of that's another subject for another time. The whole Roman Catholic caricature of the mother of our Lord. To see her sitting around with some serene little grin on her face and a halo over her head and her hands like this. There's nothing in the Bible about that whatsoever. You don't think she had hair under her arms? You don't think she had hair on her legs? You don't think she had B.O.? You don't think she had a monthly problem? She was a real woman. The Catholics have... Created a nightmare for people's imaginations and their minds because they don't submit to scripture. And just as, just as soon as she had Jesus and covered the allotted days that Moses required, I can tell you, she sent Joseph to work with a note in his lunch pail. Honey, if you'll come home at lunch, you won't have to wait till after supper. Because Jesus was her firstborn and she had a whole passel of children. The Bible tells us about it. On and on they go creating a false illusion about Christianity. 
The apostle blasts them. And so these people say, touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using. If you do that, you're going to go to hell. And so they have taken these little man-made rules and forced them on religion, forced them on Christians, and told us that we're going to go to hell if we do those little things. But you know, I thought I just read that we are complete in Him. That He's quickened us together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses. In verse 13. Notice after the closed parentheses in verse 22, after the commandments and doctrines of men, wherefore, if you've been baptized and are a baptized believer, would you ever partake or submit or believe or accept or allow any of these little man-made rules is the question. Verse 23, here's Paul's assessment of these kind of people. Which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship. Their ability to deny themselves the ordinary pleasures that God intended for us to have. Which things indeed have a show of wisdom. It's not real wisdom. It's a show of wisdom in their will worship. I don't have to have any of that. My lips have never touched a drop. And on and on they go saying things like that. And the Apostle Paul blasts them. Which things indeed have a show of wisdom and will worship. A show of humility. And they're neglecting the body. Jesus Christ's religion does not neglect the body. This is a condemnation of neglecting the body. We have been saved body, soul, and spirit, and we should taste and see that the Lord is good, like our brother read to us earlier this morning from Psalm 34. Not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. Satisfying our fleshly bodies is an honorable thing, and God's pleased with it. But they go against that. By denying the good things. You know, if you're a Seventh-day Adventist, you are likely, if you're a serious Seventh-day Adventist, you are a vegetarian. And you are denied the pleasure in satisfying your flesh by eating flesh. Eating flesh is a wonderful blessing. Meat is a wonderful blessing. Every creature of God is good and to be received with thanksgiving, according to 1 Timothy chapter 4. But these are two warnings. As a brother said to me early this morning, you gave us two passages for reading last night that are different than what we've been reading the last couple of weeks. Indeed. But this ought to stir your ire against the Pharisees. They, the Pharisees were the number one enemy in the pages of the New Testament. And we want to despise their methods, their ideas, their thoughts, their little ticky-tack rules. We want to go with the Word of God. What does God say? And you know, if, if you want to be a vegetarian for whatever reason that's not religious, don't tell us about it. You know, when we have you to our houses and we fix you a roast dinner, you just eat the potatoes and the peas. We'll eat your roast after you leave. But don't tell us about it because we don't care. We know you're nuts, but you have that liberty to be a nut. As long as you keep it private. But if you bring it into the house of God and try to impose on us your ridiculous idea of vegetarianism, and I'm using that as an illustration, you're wrong and we won't put up with it. You'll be out the door. Because we're not going to deal with that. Romans 14.1 says, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputation. 
Why do people go off on these kind of tangents? What happens? What causes them to go off? It's partial or poor understanding of the Bible that leads to false interpretations or applications of truth. It is a self-righteous attitude that they are special, thus their ideas and rules make them better than others. There are actually people that believe cleanliness is next to godliness. I need the verse. Now I've heard it all my life. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Are you kidding me? Do you know how clean Jonah was when he got his prayer finally heard? He was in the belly of the whale. It was messy down there. He describes it in Job, in Jonah chapter two, where they go off on these tangents. It's a misunderstanding of true Christianity so that they underestimate the importance of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Because that's what's important. They instead make meat and drink important, which is what Paul said was not important in Romans fourteen seventeen. It is a substitute for their lack of true spiritual religion and the importance of a relationship with Jesus Christ. They measure themselves by these little rules and make themselves feel good that they are spiritually minded because they don't do these little things that other people do. When what counts is holding the head up. Holding up the Lord Jesus Christ and loving Him and worshiping Him and delighting in Him and being thankful for His finished work on the cross, not adding to it by little rules. It's too much time in parachurch organizations built primarily on external matters of liberty instead of on Jesus Christ and a relationship with Him. It's too much internet time where they become weekend warriors on issues that they want to impose on others. These are reasons why it happens, and I want you to guard against these reasons. It's the desire to be different and have what they consider an edge over other Christians that love Christ. If you want an edge, then love Christ more than others. If you want an edge, then covet earnestly the best gifts. The Bible does tell you that there are things you may covet. Covet to edify the church. It's the very false idea that the more conservative you are on any issue is the godlier position. That is not true in the Bible. The Pharisees were the most conservative denomination of the Jews' religion. Too conservative, meaning conservative beyond what God says is right, is too conservative. It's Phariseeism. Jesus had little to say against the liberals of his day. The liberals of his day were the Sadducees. He always had to fight against the Pharisees. And we live in the center of Phariseeism in this country. Greenville, South Carolina. So we have our enemies already marked for us. The more conser- You can't be more conservative than God without being wrong. Right. Amen. What does God have to say about a person that was so afraid of eating a piece of meat that was offered to an idol that they said, family, we're never going to eat meat anymore. We're going to be vegetarians for the rest of my life. Because I never want to eat a piece of meat that's been offered to another idol because I believe in God with all my heart and all my house. What does God say about that man and his family? I need a W word. He's weak. He's weak. Romans 14 and verse 2. Because of teaching and agendas that they've picked up from other churches and pastors, where Christianity is primarily, or it includes, witch hunting. That is going after these little tiny things that God doesn't care about. Personal experiences with excess or abusive issues that work up their emotions. 
If you've had a drunkard father or a drunkard uncle or a drunkard grandfather and you've been able to witness that change in behavior and a change in spirit when they come around, they may have beat your mother, they may have beat your grandmother because I've run into this all my life. That is a very serious issue that clouds a man's emotions because it's very emotional. What drink does to a person when they drink to excess is horrible. That personality that you're used to trusting cannot be trusted. It's violent. And so that affects how people think. And so in order to protect themselves or to protect a church, they'll outlaw certain things. And remember, if you want to outlaw it for yourself, we will defend you 100%. But we're not going to impose it on the rest of the church or we're going to be going contrary to Jesus Christ. Family habits or traditions that are hard for them to think of as man-made because they're so familiar and they've esteemed them for so long. Remember I told you I'm weak about Sunday activities because I've been taught it my whole life and I've kept it my whole life. I'm not going to change either. So I want to comfort anybody that's weak on some subject. I'm not changing. I know that I don't engage in certain things between 6 p.m. on Saturday and 6 p.m. on Sunday for the Lord's sake. So I'm weak. I'm not going to impose it on you. You know, if you cut grass on Sunday afternoon and sweat on the Lord's day, it bothers me. But I'm going to love you and hug you and never even think about it. You say, can you do that? I have, haven't I? Amen. Sweat on the Lord's day. That's just nauseating to me. Now, the only reason I'm saying that is just to get you a feel that we all have these issues, and I've got mine. And sometimes you're going to know mine, and sometimes you're not. I just want to say that to comfort you. Oh, Heavenly Father, you, you know all of our hearts. And I'll keep it to you as unto the Lord in a certain way on the Lord's day and give you thanks. And those that cut their grass and are sweating can thank you for the privilege to get out and sweat and get something done on a Sunday afternoon and they can give you thanks. Because that's what the Bible tells me to do in Romans chapter 14, verse 6. It's a superstitious approach to religion that puts sacred value on practical matters that the Bible doesn't. It's ignorance about the danger, nature, safeguards, and temptations of some factors or some practices of liberty. You know, some of you are horrified that one of our feminine little girls required a masculine man in order to marry her had to jump out of an airplane with a parachute called skydiving. Now, I have an opinion about skydiving, and so does that young man, now that he's married. But you know, we had a very feminine young girl that wanted to jump out of an airplane and still wants to jump out of airplanes. If you don't know anything about skydiving, then you're going to think that that's tempting God like every third person splats on the ground. But the care that goes into those people that skydive, they hardly ever have an accident. You say, I read about one last year. You read about one last year. Did you know that 175,919 people skydived just yesterday? And 45,000 of them did it twice. And 3,000 of them did it three times. And there were no injuries. A couple of them lost contact lenses. Do we love the skydivers in the church? Can you commune with them? Can you embrace them and hug them Amen. and say, as I would, 
You're more of a man than I am. You're braver than I am. And see, that's ignorance about the danger or nature of certain things because you just don't really understand them. And brethren, let me give you the last one as to why this happens. It's the wiles of the devil who seeks to divide churches. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand, and he loves division, and he'll create division any way that he possibly can. Let's not divide about any of these things. You know, if the Lord sends us a tsunami of evidence that something we call liberty should not be a liberty but should be a law, we will pass that law in this church and we will enforce it. But until then, let's call them liberties and just love each other. Defend each other, protect each other. And if you want to be weak in some category and not do something that the rest of the church does or half the church does, so be it. I'm going to defend you 100% just like I'll defend the other half. And I hope you'll defend me by not asking me to cut your grass on Sunday. Let me summarize why this subject's in the Bible. These are very important things to me. When I have to sit back and reflect all week long, why am I preaching on a subject that I don't want to preach on very much? Why is it in the Bible? Number one, Christian liberty is in the Bible for church unity, peace, and happiness by rules on how people that have different views of many things can get along together. That's why it's in the Bible. That is Romans chapter 14, verse 17. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. God wants His church to be happy and at peace with each other and loving each other, even for the differences in things that don't matter. And the Lord Jesus Christ is looking at each of us as His younger brothers, as His inferior brothers and sisters, exhorting us to get along with each other because it makes our Father our daddy in heaven, happy. A father loves a happy family that gets along in peace and unity. And God our Father wants that, and so that's why it's in the Bible. Reason number two, Christian liberty unites a church to be like-minded so that their worship of God is with one mind and one mouth. Romans chapter 15, verses 5 through 7, and that is pleasing to God. When we sing, when we pray, when we worship, when we have the Lord's Supper, the Lord wants us to be like-minded with each other. And that means on these things that don't matter, we agree to disagree. Not about doctrine. Not about the Word and commandments of God, but about things that don't matter. That's the second reason. So that our worship is acceptable to Him. The third reason is, Christian liberty is taught in the Bible primarily as a restraint of liberty by strong members to protect the weaker ones who either through ignorance or superstition or whatever will not violate their consciences. So the third reason is for strong members to protect weak members. The fourth reason is Christian liberty is a restraint of liberty by strong members to avoid offense to those inside and outside the church about the existence and worship of God toward their conversion. Reason number five, Christian liberty is to protect the churches and saints of Jesus Christ from Pharisees. And so we have these rules, and we go through these passages of Scripture. These rules on how to practice Christian liberty. Not Pharisee rules. Because we have ours in the Bible, they have theirs in their heads. Their imagination. Reason number six, Christian liberty is the knowledge and permission to enjoy good things that God has created. It's liberty. Do you know what 1 Timothy chapter 4 had to have meant to a Jew that finally grasped it? Every creature of God is good and to be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. Children, and I've said this so many times, we can now have pizza. 
with the other families in the church. Because if you were a Jewish family, you wouldn't touch anything with pork on it. But 1 Timothy 4 comes and converts you. Christian liberty is the knowledge and permission to enjoy the good things God's created. Reason number seven. Christian liberty is a great application of knowledge and wisdom for mercy and truth. It is a wonderful demonstration and application of God's true prudence, understanding, knowledge, wisdom, and discretion. If you want to be wise, you will study this subject. Because we have Jesus dealing with one category of those erring on man-made rules in one direction, and yet we have the Apostle Paul dealing kindly in Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians 10. How do you divide between the two? Rules like, ask no question for conscience sake. Are you serious, Paul? Are there things that I shouldn't research? Are there things that I shouldn't ask about so that I can go ahead and participate in them because I've kept my conscience ignorant? That's the Bible. That's a loving father. Because he knows that once you know, you can't have it. And he wants you to have it even though he knows you shouldn't have it. Are you with me? You see, that's not what it means. That's exactly what it means. You go into the shambles. 1 Corinthians 10.25 It's time to buy meat for your family. So you walk up to the butcher and there's some fabulous looking meat. The God in heaven smile. He's got a smile on his face because he knows it was just offered to Jupiter. And you know what he tells you? Don't ask. Don't ask that butcher. Just buy it. Pay him a little extra so that he won't talk. Hurry up and get out of there. Have the right change before you get to the butcher. And buy your piece of meat and go home. Say, is that really in the Bible? First Corinthians 10.25 Ask no question for conscience sake. Ignorance is bliss when it comes to matters of liberty. I didn't say ignorance is bliss because the Bible warns against ignorance. The Bible wants us to be knowledgeable. But in matters of liberty, it doesn't matter what you know or you don't know. It helps not to know it because you can go ahead and participate in it. So my, my seventh reason for why Christian liberty is in the Bible, it's a, just a great application of knowledge and wisdom for all of us to grow in these things like discretion and prudence because there's so much of it taught and applied in a study of Christian liberty. What is Christian liberty? What God commands, we do it exactly and nothing else. What God condemns, we stay far away from it. Christian liberty deals with those things that God hasn't commanded or condemned. Like skydiving. There's just nothing in the Bible about skydiving. Well, I think that skydiving is foolish. I think that it's dangerous. A person could get hurt if they went skydiving. Then don't go skydiving. We'll let you commune with us next month. You don't have to go skydiving. Nobody's trying to press you into skydiving business. You don't have to. But if you're going to be so ignorant about skydiving, I have something else to suggest to you. Since it's bothering you that one of us, not me, and not one of us, if it bothers you that some of us skydive, if you're going to be consistent and not be a hypocrite, then you shouldn't let your children drive until they are at least 25 years of age. Every insurance company knows that it is not a safe bet to insure drivers under 25. Why are you doing it? It is far riskier for your children to drive to Bible quizzing or to drive to church or to drive to a youth gathering than it is to skydive. Don't you know that? Why are you so inconsistent? 
Oh, the Lord's beautiful, isn't he? He just teaches us not to worry about these things. Because, you know, I think every 16-year-old in here practically goes on 40 days of fasting in order to get their license when they turn 16. At 16, they are totally incapable of driving a vehicle with any measure of safety. And not until they're 25 or 30 can they even understand that. They think, my reflexes are twice as fast as Dad's. Yes, but your mind is a hundred times slower, so what good are your reflexes? Because we have learned the amount of time it takes to stop a vehicle. We have learned that there's something called inertia, that you can only take a curve at such and such a speed. And you know where that comes from? Experience, experience, experience. It's not a formula in a book. You can't calculate it on your smartphone and figure out that this curve coming up, you can only, you just learn it. You know, when you laugh, most subjects we shouldn't laugh about in church. This subject, we can laugh about. I believe that, I believe that the more we laugh on this subject, it's going to do good for all of us. You'll go home healthier than when you arrived because a good laugh is healthy for you. And the Lord will be pleased because He can see that we're just all getting together on ignoring these things that we differ on. I differ about skydiving. It would take an act of God to get me out of a plane that wasn't on the ground and didn't have stairs coming up to the door. And don't set it as your goal to get me out of my liberty. Oh, thank you, Lord, for giving us such a subject in the Word of God. You know, we're going to defend both sides in this church on on everything that we consider a matter of liberty. You can do whatever you want. We'll defend you. We don't want to talk about it publicly. Right now we're going to be talking about some of these publicly because we just want to get them out there to where we can chuckle about them and go forward because what do we really want to do? We want to have one mind in this church. We want to have a church that is completely at peace. We want to have a church that is happy. And what are we doing while we are together, peaceful and happy? Holding up the head, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, you've brought all of us weirdos together. We're all strange. We're all different from each other. We have different backgrounds. We have different training. We have spent time in different churches. But we're going to overlook all those differences and get together so that when we commune with you, we are in common union with one another. And we are going to love one another so that we are like-minded and we have one mind and we have one mouth glorifying God. Are you happy with us, Lord? That's why we preach this subject. I've seen that division. I've smelled that division. I've had to face that division. I've had to protect this church from that division. And I don't want to do it anymore. Rule number one is that there's no doubtful disputations in this church. Rule number two is you cannot compromise your conscience. If you go against your conscience, then it it becomes sin, even though it's a matter of liberty. That's how powerful your conscience is in the sight of God. It's this simple. If you, in your conscience, and that is the candle of the Lord inside of you, says... That's just wrong for me. And you go ahead and do it, then you've done something wrong. And it's sin in the sight of God. So don't violate your conscience. Rule number three, you must do it to the Lord. Look at Romans 14 and verse 6. Romans 14 and verse 6. He that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. This is the Jewish calendar. Gentiles didn't have to keep all that Jewish calendar. But here's a Jew. Regarding the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. This is not Christmas, Easter, Halloween, or Valentine's Day. Because you cannot 
regard or keep those days under the Lord because they're opposite the Lord. They're antichrist. They're out of the church of Rome. They're pagan. They're pagan in origin. They're pagan in name. They're pagan in practice. There's nothing hallowed about the evening before All Saints Day of the Roman Catholic Church. There's nothing hallowed about ghosts, goblins, devils, and witches. Those things are to be burnt, killed, put to death in God's scheme of things as recorded in the laws of the Old Testament. This is the Jewish calendar. Passover, Day of Atonement, things like that. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord. Romans 14, 6. And he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. I love this terminology. This is a Gentile that doesn't keep those days and he doesn't keep the days to the Lord. Lord, I want to go to work on this day. I don't want to lose a day because I'm at home for the day of atonement of my Jewish brothers. Second half of the verse, he that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. There's a man eating meat that's been offered to an idol. And he that eateth not, that means he doesn't eat meat. He's a vegetarian. To the Lord he eateth not and giveth God thanks. That's just beautiful. So the the rule here, rule number three is you must practice your liberty to the Lord. You have made the choice that you have because you can do that the best to the Lord. And you give God thanks for the opportunity to do what you have chosen to do to the Lord. If you're not doing it to the Lord, then I'm going to ask you if you aren't guilty of doing something that you're doubting about. Because if you're not doubting about it, then you'll be able to do it to the Lord. If you're unable to do it to the Lord, then you may be doubting about it. And if you're doubting about it, then it's sin to you. Romans fourteen twenty three. For he that doubteth is damned if he eat. If you go against your conscience, you're damning yourself in the Bible sense of that strong word of destruction and judgment coming upon you. All consciences need to be considered. Except in our city, you can treat this city like Jesus treated the Pharisees. And I taught that last week, and I don't really have time to go over it again. We live in a city that's 50% Baptist, many of which are teetotalers. If you're in a restaurant, go ahead and order whatever you want to go along with your meal. If you want a glass of wine along with your lasagna or spaghetti dinner, then go ahead and order it. If there's any one of these teetotalers in there watching you, they're already a hypocrite by being in that restaurant. I taught you that. Because a real teetotaler doesn't go to restaurants that serves alcohol. Because that's giving your neighbor drink. Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 15. They quote that verse from sunrise to sunset. Whoso giveth his neighbor drink. I said to you, if you live near the Amish, if we lived in western Pennsylvania, where where the Amish live in that particular state, would you turn your electricity off with the power company and throw your plumbing out in the front yard? See, I've been there and seen all those houses. I've seen the bathtubs upside down out in the front yard. Would you do that so that you wouldn't offend the Amish? None of you would do that. So this issue shouldn't be a problem for any of you. If a Seventh-day Adventist moved in next door to you, would you stop cutting your grass and washing your car on Saturday and start sitting quietly inside with your children gathered around you reading the Bible so that you wouldn't offend the Seventh-day Adventist that moved in next door to you? Nobody wants to answer, so I'll answer for you. None of you would make that adjustment and you would understand it. They can have their little man-made rules. They're the blind leading the blind. Let them both fall into the ditch. There, there shouldn't be any difficulty in you coming to that conclusion. If a vision forum full quiver type works in your office, will you try to conceive annually so as not to offend them? Oh, and there's more that could be said, but we all... Oh. Men set the liberty for their families. I've already been over that. That is just part of being an authority. 
A man gets to set the liberty for his wife. A man gets to set the liberty for his children. You know, there might be other families in the church that allow certain things. A man could go home from this sermon and say, Children, I want to sit down and talk about something right now. As long as you're under my roof, and as long as you're living with me and I'm supporting you, and you're answering to me for your lives, you will not skydive in this family. You know what? That father has that right. And you know, if you just have an itch to skydive, you could say, Daddy, when I'm older, like when I'm married, and I'm out on my own and I'm 30 years old, could I skydive then if I got the urge? And you know, a good daddy's probably going to say, well, if you want to do it when you're 30, son, that's okay. I'm just hoping by 30 that you've grown up. <laughs> now, I'm sorry saying that to that feminine girl in our midst that likes to jump out of airplanes. But I know that there's more, and I'm married to one of them. But don't you mess with my wife. A man has that right. Keep your liberty private. You're in Romans chapter 14. Look at verse 22. This little, this little rule is so valuable. Hast thou faith? Romans 14, 22. Hast thou faith? This faith is not believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. This faith is not believing that there's going to be a resurrection of the dead. This faith, because it's in the middle of Romans 14, is can you eat meat that was offered to an idol? Right. This faith that's in the middle of Romans 14 is can you ignore a Jewish holiday? Hast thou faith? Look at the words of wisdom from God Almighty, our Father in heaven. Have it to thyself before God. See, you're doing it to the Lord. That's why it says before God. But have it to yourself. Keep it in private. We don't need to know about everything that you do. But do you know what I'm trying to do by spending a lot of time on this series? Make us all feel comfortable so that if somebody comes in here and slips, that they went skydiving yesterday. That's my little pet one for today. If somebody comes in here and slips that they went skydiving yesterday, none of us are going to worry about it because the pastor was thorough enough to go through all of these ahead of time. I couldn't care. I'm glad that they're able to enjoy something like that. I hope that if they jumped at 12,000 feet, they enjoyed the first 10 without pulling the ripcord. Can you have that kind of an attitude? I'd pull mine at 13, <laughs> though the plane was at 12. Oh, I'd need an automatic one, you know, handcuffed into the plane somewhere, and I'd have to be kicked out after I was drugged. I just hope that we can think about these things. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. We don't need to advertise these things. We don't need to push them. Our little girl that we're talking about doesn't need to come into our assemblies and push people and say, come on, you need to do it. Come on, grow up. Are you just a scaredy pants? We don't need to hear those kind of things because it says, hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. If you're able to drink a little wine with your spaghetti dinner, then have it to yourself. Don't advertise it. Don't push it. Don't go on a crusade trying to convert everyone else in the church. We're all going to differ on all kinds of things that we're going to be looking at. Keep your liberty private. That's a rule of the Word of God. Adapt to your audience. When in Rome, do as the Romans do. Whoever you are around, you should be knowledgeable enough about your brothers and sisters to know what they allow and what they don't allow, and you adjust your lifestyle accordingly. If you don't know, here's, here's the question. Somebody, well, what if I don't know? Well, that means you've been a lazy church member. That's all that it means. You're a lazy church member if you don't know. The second thing you can do is err on the side of conservatism so that you're being protective of them since you don't know because you've been lazy as a church member. 
err on the side of conservatism. Instead of pushing something when you have somebody in your house or when you're in a conversation with someone, adapt to your audience. The Apostle Paul was awesome. The Apostle Paul said, when I was with those that were without law, I was without law. When I was with those that were under the law, I was under the law. When I was with the Jews, I was like a Jew. And he describes it in detail in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Number 8, manage your degree of liberty. Just because a thing may be a thing of indifference and a matter of liberty, use it only in moderation. You know, eating meat is a matter of liberty. But riotous eaters of flesh have sinned. Having a glass of wine with your spaghetti dinner is one thing. Getting drunk is an entirely different thing. You've taken a matter of liberty and made it a sin. Television's a liberty. Having a television in your house is a liberty. Watching sin on the television is your sin. So manage your degree of liberty. Even if a thing is a liberty or it's lawful, its use needs to be expedient and edifying. So manage how much you're using. You may even offend and be a stumbling block to the strong if you use your liberty carelessly. There are certain liberties more dangerous than other liberties. Television's incredibly dangerous. Television is simply the most dangerous liberty I'm going to talk about. Television can wreck a family and wreck a soul and a spirit faster than anything else I'm going to talk about. And there may be another strong person in the church that has a television, you have a television, and they hear you blabbing about some of the things that you've watched on your television. You could be a stumbling block for a weak person that has a television, let alone the, I mean, a strong person has a television, let alone the weak that doesn't even want that box in their house. See, intuitively we would say the person that doesn't have a television in their house is strong. That is not the case in the Bible definition of the words weak and strong. It's the man without the television that is weak. Because he becomes a vegetarian to avoid the meat. Manage your degree of liberty. A weak person doesn't have one. And they're safe in their weakness. They're safe. A strong man has a television. He watches it very carefully or hardly watches it at all. Then there's another strong person who has a television. He watches things that he shouldn't or he talks about things that he's watched. And so it pushes this guy and shakes him as a stumbling block to him though he's strong and has a television. Are you with me on this? I can't. Hopefully I don't need to explain this further. I need to run... Th- this has got a little larger than... Well, it's just as large as I wanted it to be. I want this to be thorough. And when you see the outline at the end, you'll know that hopefully it's thorough. No liberty can be controlling. First Corinthians 6.12 All things are lawful. Unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. When the Bible says all things are lawful for me, is sin lawful for Paul? Were prostitutes lawful for Paul? Was drunkenness profitable for Paul? Was stealing profitable for Paul? Was sleeping in all day and becoming a sluggard profitable for Paul? I mean, lawful for Paul? No, 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 no. So when it says all things are lawful unto me, what's he talking about? Lawful things. Things of liberty. Things that God allows. But not all things are expedient. That means they're not always the right thing to do at that time. And not all things are 
edifying. They might not be lifting up or boosting those that are around you. And that's the choice you ought to make because you want to build up those that are around you. And in this verse, 1 Corinthians 6.12, I will not be brought under the power of any. You may not get addicted to something in such a way that you cannot put it down when the situation calls for you to put it down. That doesn't mean that you don't have daily habits. I'd almost ask for hands right now who has to have a cup of coffee every day. Thank you. One honest brother. Two. Is that two cups or you also? Oh, sorry. But what if your coffee became an issue of stumbling to another person? Could you put it down? Could you hold off for a breakfast and wait until lunch when you were back in your vehicle? All things are lawful unto me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. I will not let them have such a place in my life or such a control over me that I cannot lay them down to adapt to the audience that I am with. And so you need to guard. There are certain things that are more addictive than other things. Tobacco is very addictive. You know, we were talking about Charles Spurgeon and cigars. But did you read carefully enough to know that One time Charles Spurgeon put down his cigars for a year to prove that he could put them down to his servant that was questioning whether he could put them down. Did you hear what Charles Spurgeon says was smoking cigars to an excess? It's when I smoke two at a time. (laughs) Okay, some of you didn't think that was worth hearing. I enjoyed reading that by this man that the local university in our town that I wouldn't want to name, it's in Greenville, South Carolina, it's the world's most unusual university, WMUU. <laughs> that particular university loves Charles Spurgeon and sets him forth as the greatest Baptist preacher ever. Uh, why don't they get the pictures out and post them in their bookstore of him with one of those big 12-inch stogies that he smoked every day? Why don't they pull the advertisements out of the London papers taking advantage of the brand that Charles Spurgeon smokes? because that was big business back then. I will not be brought into the power of any. No liberty can be controlling to where you can't put it down. If you find yourself in a situation with weak brethren, you have, you have to be able to adjust, adapt, and put that thing down until you can have it to yourself again. Right. You say, well, I don't know if I could do that. With certain, Well, then you've got to get rid of those things, or you've got to adjust how much you use them. We face matters of liberty that can be addicting, whether it's alcohol, tobacco, caffeine, sugar, tea, whatever the case might be. You know, those are some of them. Most of them are dietary that that get a control of us. And the Apostle Paul is, you know, the Apostle Paul isn't even necessarily referring to those things directly here in this verse, but he is just pointing out nothing can have such an influence in my life. Nothing can be so important to me that I can't lay it down whenever I need to. I will not be brought under the power of anything. The, the Apostle Peter was brought under the power of his friendship with Jews out of Jerusalem when he was at Antioch of Syria. When he was in Antioch of Syria, he ate with the Gentiles just like the Apostle Paul did. But when his friends came up from the church of Jerusalem to the city of Antioch, Paul, Peter stopped eating with the, with the Gentiles and began eating with the Jews because of fear. And it tells us that very plainly in Galatians chapter 2. He did it out of fear. He was under the power of his relationship with those Jews and so that he couldn't eat with the way he had been eating one meal earlier before they arrived. But you want to be careful about this because this is the Word of God. Don't let anything into your life that you can't put down and leave. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. 
Nothing will get a claim on me that I cannot put down when I need to put it down. That doesn't mean you have to stop drinking coffee for the rest of your life to prove that you can put it down. It just means that when someone's over to your house and they don't drink coffee or coffee's a stumbling block to them or whatever, and I'm picking on something that you may be laughing about, but I'm just using it to relieve the tension, if it's coffee, you don't have to drink coffee. Or if you're at their house, you don't have to drink coffee. Anything that would be a stumbling block to someone else. We agree to disagree. It's a wonderful, you know, we hate those words most of the time because the religious world uses them to disagree over doctrine. We are not talking about agreeing to disagree over doctrine and what God's commandments are. We're agreeing to disagree over your idea of what we should do about how many times we wash our hands before dinner and my idea of how many times we should wash hands before dinner. It's about skydiving. It's about having a glass of wine with spaghetti dinner. It's all these different things. It's about having an underwater berth. You know, we agree to disagree on all those things. And we love each other. And we're excited about how the children are born. No matter how they're born. And brethren, you need to grow some thick skin. For Christian liberty to work in a church, you need to grow some thick skin so that you're not hurt or sensitive to other people. All that shows that you're, that you're hardly a Christian. You may not be a Christian if you have thin skin. If, if there's one thing that Christians have, it's thick skin. How do you show that from the Bible? Because they forgive one another. Because they defer their anger. Because they pass over transgressions. Because they're not easily provoked. Because they forbear one another. Because they bear all things. Because they endure all things. What else do you need to hear? Grow some skin. Especially children. Children should not tease other children about anything. It's wrong when they do it. But if you start crying because you're teased a little bit, you have a serious character problem. Grow up. There's a character issue on both sides. Children shouldn't tease other children, and children shouldn't get hurt, and adults shouldn't get hurt. So what if someone says something in passing that bites you? The, 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 the Lord knows that's going to happen. We're going to do it to each other on a regular, frequent basis. But we just forgive each other. We're not easily provoked. We're not seeking our own. We believe all things. And if you can't believe that they had your best interest at heart, the Bible says hope all things. If you can't believe it, that they still love you, then hope that they love you. And that covers it all. Grow some thick skin. That's a rule of Christian liberty. Follow the pastor's faith when he has to exert his faith in some matter of liberty because it's causing confusion in a church. Hebrews 13.7 puts it this way. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God. These are preachers. Whose faith follow. Considering the end of their conversation. I'm going to give an account to the God Almighty and to the Lord Jesus Christ as my captain for where I try to impose my liberty on this church. And I'm very, very careful about it. And some of you think that I'm practically a libertine because I don't have Crosby's Handbook of Modesty. Handbook of approved television programming. And I don't do it. I preach the way that I do, and I hope by the Spirit of the living God for you to be convicted enough by the preaching that you'll go home and you'll guard what you watch on television. Once I have the manual, then I've imposed my views on a bunch of matters of liberty, and then I have to have some enforcement method in hand to be able to go around and make sure that you don't. I guess I guess I got to wire all your televisions so that it pops up in my office that you just watched something that you shouldn't have watched that was on my list. I don't do it. 
But sometime I'm going to have to do it, and sometimes I've done it, and you've watched me do it, though you may not be thinking about it right now. For instance, attendance. Is church attendance a liberty? No and yes. No, it's not a matter of liberty. We're commanded to attend. Yes, we allow some liberties for jobs, for sickness, for vacations. Who makes the decision as to when somebody is violating the liberty of a non-liberty? The pastor does. And I've always done it. It's the only way to do it. We're not going to vote on it. Where in the Bible does it tell us to vote on such a thing? And I hope you all understand that your pastor is merciful. I get more complaints that I'm too merciful than I'm not merciful enough. That is for members that are still here. Um, It's the other way around with those that have already on the other side. But you know, some of you have come to me and said, why why so-and-so is still a member of our church? Because I'd rather err on the side of mercy. And there's a whole lot of things that could go along with that because the Lord's been merciful to me above all other men and because I want His mercy. And I know that the mercy rejoices against judgment. And I know that God loves mercy more than He does sacrifice. And the Lord's never let me down. The Lord has never let me down in mercy. He will eventually expose those that I'm praying about and we can get rid of them out of this church. And you know that wouldn't be for some small matter either. But if it's attendance... You know, you're going to get a warning from me, and it's going to be in private. And if you don't heed that warning and pick up your attendance, then you're going to get it in public, and you've heard that one before. And then if you don't heed that one, you'll be excluded for forsaking the assembly. You know, when's a man effeminate? Are we going to take a vote on it? That someone comes in here wearing a purple tie? Is he effeminate? You know, someone's got to make a decision. In Ezekiel chapter 44 and verse 23, the priests were to set a difference between the holy and the profane. It's just part of, it's what a father does. In matters of liberty, this is acceptable, kids. This is not acceptable. Nope, you may not watch that on television. Yes, you may. Yes, you may go with that friend. No, you may not go with this friend. You do it all the time, and I do it once in a while, and I'm very careful about ever doing it, and all of you should know that. Abstain from all appearance of evil. We want to be careful at what people even think about our liberties. Because in 1 Corinthians 10.31, or earlier in that chapter, 1 Corinthians 10, Paul said, if a man with a weak conscience sees you in a particular place, you're going to cause him trouble. So don't do it. It's verse 10 of chapter 8. For if any man see thee, so abstain from all appearance of evil. If any man see thee, which hast knowledge, sit at meat. We're talking about brothers in the church that are weak that need to be protected lest they sin against their own consciences. We want to exalt Christian charity. We always want to be loving everyone around us and doing what would be showing true Christian love toward them. We always want to exalt edification, which is to edify and build them up in the faith so that they're stronger, better, more Christ-loving Christians than before. Not that they're going home discouraged, beat down with a stumbling block because when they're around us, they hear of things that they can't do, won't do, and their conscience won't allow. We always want to be edifying in every choice that we make. These are 17 rules of Christian liberty. When we come back after our break, we'll look at some objections that are thrown up. We'll consider a few issues of liberty, and hopefully we can all laugh that these things are so minor, these things are so small. The Lord Jesus Christ is so great, and His cause is so great, and His church is so important. Let's keep it united. Let's keep it peaceful. Let's keep it happy. For the glory of God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.